state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Farrell, the tight end in motion. Fields gets the snap, gives it off to Sermon. Hit by JoJo Doman and brought down. He's short of the first down. It'll be fourth down. Doman fired off the edge and knocked down Sermon short of the stick. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Tim Curran. Thank you. Welcome to tonight's edition of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a great day today. We appreciate you spending some of your time with us tonight and some maybe concerning news that Tim had for us all there in the ticker with reports coming out of Madison about the Badgers having a coronavirus outbreak that could put Saturday's game in Lincoln in jeopardy. We're going to cover that here in hour number one. Tim also mentioned we'll have a practice report later on in the hour. Both coordinators met with the media today. Matt Lubick, the offensive coordinator, Eric Chinander, the defensive coordinator. So we'll hear from both of them later on in the hour. Hour number two, Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, will stop by. We'll get his take about week one of the season for the Cornhuskers and where do they go from here? Well, what does he see for the rest of this season uh, for Nebraska? And we'll hear what uh, Tom's takes on that coming up in hour number two. We'll also go beyond the headlines. It's been a while since we did that as Tim and Mick have been busy putting together some of those fun things. We'll have our top ten Tuesday Kind of a Halloween, scary movie type theme tonight. We're going to have some fun with that. We need that, right? We need, we need a little chuckle. We need a little lighten the mood a little bit. So we'll do that coming up in hour number three of the program. And as always, the phone lines and the text line open and available to you. 531-500-4686. That doubles up, as, as I mentioned, as our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. But... Let's start with the news. There were rumblings and rumors that came out starting two days ago that Graham Mertz, the redshirt freshman quarterback who was terrific in the Friday night opener for the Badgers, only had one incompletion, threw five touchdown passes, looked terrific as he replaced Jack Cohn, who got hurt during their fall camp as a starting quarterback for Wisconsin. Reports came out of Madison that he had tested positive for COVID-19. We were also hearing rumblings yesterday, and we didn't talk much about this on the program last night, but it certainly uh, bears throwing it out there now, is that we were hearing there were nine or ten positives on the football team for the Badgers, even as as far back as 24 to 36 hours ago, that that would happen. Then, Early this afternoon, it came down from several different sources, including Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com, that Graham Mertz tested positive a second time. So that completely puts him on the shelf. He now starts that 21-day clock that he's not able to be a part of the football activities, has to be in quarantine, and goes on the shelf. So that's that was being reported all afternoon, that, that he's he's now in that 21-day window that would have started when he first tested positive, which would have been either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, we, there's still some uncertainty whether uh, when that first positive test came down. Again, it was first reported on Sunday, but was the test Sunday or was the test Saturday? And Wisconsin has not been real open yet and I, I i get that i understand why they're not being open about all this right now but they did say that when they did their pregame test on friday before they played illinois that nobody was positive so that they believe this all happened after their matchup with the fighting illini on um on friday night uh so then the positive test started coming in sometime over the weekend we again don't know if it was saturday or sunday that Mertz first tested positive well then uh late this afternoon as tim had in the ticker jeff petroikas who covers the badgers for the journal uh up in madison said that uh, this game saturday is in real jeopardy because the Badgers are coming close to the positivity rates set by the league. And, Tim, this is probably a good time for us to kind of refresh everybody's memory about some of those positivity rates. And I think you have some of that information there in front of you. Right. So the, there, there's two kind of tiers to this. There's the team positivity rate and the population 
positive positivity rate, uh, which is not necessarily the po- the population of like the surrounding city, but the number of positive individuals divided by the total population at risk. So I guess that would include the rest of the team and team staff members, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so the team positivity rate uh, is just the number of t- positive tests divided by the total number of tests administered. And then there are, there's the green, orange, and red zones. And so if you're in the green range, that means zero to two percent of players have tested positive. Uh, orange is two to five percent tested positive and then the red is i believe uh over five have tested positive and then the same thing with the population positivity rate so if you're in that green range or even the orange range team activities can continue uh with normal practice and competition but once you get into the orange orange and orange red uh categories then you you have to kind of proceed with caution and then that's going to kind of start to alter stuff but uh, if you get in the red red zone where you have the the red uh team positivity rate and the red population positivity rate that means a a pause of all regular practices and team activities including games for a minimum of a week and so that's kind of worth that milwaukee journal sentinel report is at is that wisconsin is nearing that red red range which would put a mandatory pause on all team activities for at least seven days yeah, and this is a seven-day rolling average. So if you go back and you take Wisconsin at their word that their Friday testing showed nobody, then then their seven-day rolling average that would be, what, Tuesday to Tuesday, should be in pretty good shape, right? If, if, I'm, right. if I'm reading that right, because the seven-day average changes every day. So the seven-day average will go to Wednesday tomorrow, then to Thursday, then to Friday. But... If they let's say they had let's say that the, the reports and the rumors yesterday were true that they had nine to ten yesterday, that still leaves a pretty low percentage because if you go let's say I think it's a hundred and twenty five is the positivity rate of the for for the step four on the Big Ten uh, data. If you have one hundred and twenty per day. I, I need a calculator. Mick can do this probably in his head. He's just a math seance. <laughs> but uh, so if you have 120 a day and you didn't have any on last Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's a lot of tests, right? That would be up to 480 with zero. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you may have had, let's say you had eight on Sunday. So you got to add that into it. I still think they might be okay. But, but what you just laid out there tells me they might be tilting and feel like they're going to be tilting as the week goes along to more of the orange-orange category where they, as the, the thing says, you have to consider viability of continuing with scheduled competition. To me, that, that's where I think they think they're headed. Maybe I'm off. Right. Now, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on, and, and you know we kind of have to read the tea leaves a little bit because the report is, is not, I wouldn't say vague. That would be kind of an unfair characterization, but obviously we don't have all of the facts that the teams for, you know, understandable reasons are keeping the positivity, the positive tests and all that kind of close to the, the chest. So they don't reveal too much. Um, but you're right in that the, the, if you're in that orange, orange or orange red range, the team has to proceed with caution um, yeah. and, and, and everything like that. And that means altering the practice and meeting schedules and, and all of that. So you would imagine that they are at the very least in that range. Um, but, you know, it's it's also just tough because th- this virus is so unpredictable. You really don't know, even if you have the most stringent of protocols in place that can still sneak in. And as we saw with um, the other conferences, for instance, the Alabama, that Nick Saban situation, there was a false positive. So that was another right. concern was, oh, was this just a false positive? Well, it turns out that it looks like Graham Mertz has tested positive for coronavirus for a second time, meaning that that this is a confirmed case, um, at least reportedly. And so the the coronavirus is there. Just the question is, has it spread enough? If you have enough testing done, then you can uh, maybe not shut down everyone and and try and actually, uh, you know, still practice while not having to quarantine the entire team like we saw some teams do in the summer. So you hope that there's a window of opportunity to get this done. Um, But right now it's just kind of a precarious situation because there's still not a lot we, we don't know. Well, and, and let me just put, shed a little bit of light on Jeff Petrikas, who's the reporter who's been doing this. He's pretty locked in. You go back into all the discussions that were going on about whether the Big Ten was going to even resume playing football back in September. He was all over this. And a lot of the information that he had ended up being accurate. So he's got, again, I would say he has very good sources 
within the Wisconsin athletic department and football program. Or and and so he's putting that out there. So to me, that catches my attention. This isn't just some dot com website that's throwing Yacht. this out there. Right. This. <laughs> Good one. Uh, this is a guy who's been really accurate on covering this Big Ten thing and, and again, is pretty tied in to the people in the know at Wisconsin. So my guess, and you're right, kind of reading the tea leaves here, is that they are really close to that orange-orange, orange-slash-red part of it. Uh, and, and that's why he's going out with a story that's saying that the game Saturday appears to be in some doubt right now here on a Tuesday. Still time to go, but the further they get along, that seven-day rowing average doesn't look probably as good for them, and they may be thinking about this. One thing that the Badgers have to consider is that in this 2020 thing, to be considered, this is way down the road, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, to be considered to play in the Big Ten championship game, you have to have played six of the eight games. Well, it's hmm. if they miss this one and then the seven-day average doesn't get any better and they miss next week's, then they're, they're right at the sixth level of having games that would make them eligible to play for a Big Ten championship in December. So we will continue to follow this. Um, they did the, I will say this. The Badgers did practice today, and Paul Christ did say he anticipates they're going to play the game. Now, that was all this morning that all that stuff came out of. Did it change this afternoon? Perhaps. We'll certainly stay on this. Time for us to dive into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Our practice report brought to you by JTEC. Football's back, and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers, for a free estimate. Well, Matt Lubick and Eric Chenander met with the media earlier today after the Huskers' Tuesday practice. And one of the things, and we brought it up on the program last night, was the lack of, in Nebraska's offense, of trying to stretch that Ohio State defense, taking some shots down the field. Matt Lubick was asked about trying to get more deep ball attempts into the offense this week. We tried more. We targeted more in that. You know, part of it was protection breakdown or the quarterback you know, uh, maybe scramble a little bit early or maybe a guy wasn't open, but there, there's no question. We, we want to take shots down the field in every football game. Um, but in saying that, part of it is what the defense is giving you. I know, you know, early on, uh, I thought Ohio State did a really good job of, you know, when, it, when those guys were playing coverage, they were playing, they were playing deep and they wanted you to earn it. And so, for example, if we're running a post route, they did a great job of staying on top of the post route, which sometimes forces you to check the ball down. Um, so it was a combination of things. We went in there with a lot more shots than, than one. You know, we, we, we'll usually go into a game with anywhere from seven to, to ten shots that could actually be uh, over 20-yard type passes. And then part of those explosive pass plays, too, is getting to a good player in space and letting those guys create the explosives themselves, your talent. And uh, we got to keep doing a better job of that. And, you know, that's a work in progress. That's kind of reassuring to hear, Tim, and, and I know you got, you were listening in on Big Red Reaction. I'm sure that came up a couple of times in Big Red Reaction. You, you wanted to hear this being said by the coaches, and I'm glad Matt Lubick addressed it today. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and kind of the first part of uh, Coach's comments was kind of correcting the record, so to speak, because the reporter who asked it, um, I kind of mischaracterized uh, what happened. He was basically saying he didn't attempt um, these deep balls, but uh, Coach Lubick was saying, well, actually, we did, and, you know, here's <laughs> reasons X, Y, Z. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that – <laughs> It's always hard to kind of draw a grand narrative out of the first game of the season, especially one against an opponent like Ohio State. And I think that people, you know, were looking for the offense to be firing on all cylinders. But, you know, that's it is an elite defense that you're facing. And, yeah, the offense is going to be kind of sputtering at some respects. And it's not going to be fully clicking because, I mean, hey, the team didn't even get a full spring in. So we can't necessarily expect to see uh, all aspects of the offense to be totally encompassing in, the, in that first game. But, no, I, I appreciate uh, what Coach Lubick had to say and he's actually been really interesting to speak he's a very insightful speaker i think greg um you know he's, he's he's got a lot of knowledge and and to hear him kind of lay things out it's actually kind of it's kind of cool to get that insight that we don't really normally get agreed 
Well, his top receiver in his room has been and will probably continue to be Wandale Robinson. Wandale had six catches on Saturday for 49 yards, had a long of 21. But if you listen to Coach Lubick, that might not have been enough touches for Wandale. Here's the coach. It's a, it's a combination. We, we want to get him the ball more than six times. There's no question about that. Um, and that some of it is, you know, a little bit of what the defense is giving you and the flow of the game and, and what's going on. Um, but there's no question that's something that we're always talking about, studying behind the scenes. Uh, it's something that he deserves. And he's a playmaker that we need to get the ball in his hands. Well, Coach Lubick's room has a lot of newcomers, a lot of freshmen, Lelante Brown, Marcus Fleming, Xavier Betts. He's got a junior college player in Omar Manning that we're going to get to here in a minute. How about his young receivers? And could we see more of those newcomers in the coming weeks? Yeah, so we were able to get some of the newcomers in uh, in the second half. I think Lelante uh, played a decent amount. Same with uh, with. Fleming and uh, you know and Levi I consider him a newcomer he, and he started the game he, he's a newcomer um, and really Wandell's kind of a newcomer too he's a true freshman last year but I guess he's a veteran he's been here for two years I, th- this week you know we're still working on getting Omar healthy but we're hoping he can help us this week uh, Alante has done some good things all, all those guys are getting better Xavier Betts is getting better they're all getting better and we're going to gradually keep working those guys um in the system and give them opportunities. But at the end of the day, you know, when the game goes, we're going to play the guys we think give us the best chance to win. Tim, he alluded to Omar Manning in that clip right there. Mm -hmm. Here he talks more about Omar Manning, the dynamic junior college wide receiver that Nebraska signed last winter. He's explosive. Uh, He's definitely an explosive. He brings some size to the table. Uh, He's definitely our biggest receiver. I think right now he's probably 215, 220. Um, he has strong hands. He's physical. So he has a lot of good skill sets that we want to utilize. And the key, like you said, is just getting him healthy and, and healthy and confident because he is getting healthy, you know, and uh, he's showing some really good things in practice. And now the next part is getting him confident so he can play at his best. And, and confidence is, you know, knowing your assignment, um, repping it over and over and over. That takes time. That takes practice. And he's doing a really good job of it now. Tim, I'm ready. I want to see Omar Manning. I think the fans are too. Uh, I'm right there with you. And, you know, there's always a – and Coach Lupe kind of alluded to this when talking about the newcomers. Um, there's always that delicate balance you have to do uh, when you're when you're looking at playing new guys to the squad is you're, you, had, you had to balance experience versus young, raw talent. Well, a guy like Omar Manning – represents the best of both worlds because not only is he a newcomer with a lot of talent he's also a juco guy so he has more experience than a guy coming right out of high school and you see that of course uh you know with and basketball as well with coach hoiberg and his rosters but um you know he, he's a really exciting guy i mean 6'4 225 pounds uh that's a physical specimen he <laughs> right there uh, he played it uh, he was the nation's top juco guy uh at kilgore college in texas uh at a receiver i, I should say be more specific Pacific. um that's exciting and i know that fans have been itching to to, to see him for, for good reason and I, I hope he's it sounds like he's he's getting ready soon that was uh, i think that believe the question actually directly was was how close is omar to playing and it sounds like we're getting close and you know the, the sooner the better to be frank you know he i don't think there's any doubt he was the most ballyhooed guy of that 2020 recruiting class and that was the most we've heard a coach talk about omar you're right i mean that we haven't been been told he's been out there we've been told that he's been nicked up and been able to practice but it sounds like we're getting close fingers crossed that if we have a game saturday that that omar manning is out there all right let's shift over to defense eric chenander uh took the podium after Matt Lubick uh, left and then talked about Saturday's game and uh, was asked about the the ejections that happened on Saturday with Cam Tater, Britt, and Deontay Williams and what the secondary is going to have to do to get past that first half on Saturday. 
Um, it, it doesn't really change our mindset. Um, you know, at safety, um, you know, Miles Farmer, Noah Pola Gates, um, those guys have all done a great job, as well as Isaac Gifford can go in there and give you some reps um, at nickel or at safety. Um, and at corner, you know, Q and Ronald Delancey, RJ Delancey have done a great job in camp. Um, so they understand the calls. They've been getting a lot of reps. It's not like uh, you're, you're throwing some guys in there that have never, you know, played. They've been in scout team, and all of a sudden you're pulling them up. Um, they've executed all the defense. I trust those guys. Um, so I think, you know, our game plan is going to be tailored to Wisconsin, not necessarily tailored to the personnel we have in the football game. Just rough, Tim. It's tough enough to lose one starter back there to lose two. And I know it's only for a half, but golly, half well, of your guys are out for 30 minutes of football. And especially in that fashion. I mean, like, I don't think I need to to tell Nebraska fans that the fashion in which uh, both those guys were, were, you know, flagged for targeting was not ideal to say the least and I, I I think that rule just needs to be revisited I mean number one I mean how harsh of a penalty is that having to sit out the half of the next game uh, if it happens in the second half or even having to sit out the, the half if it happened in the first half I, I I just don't understand why it needs to be that punitive especially when we're talking about bang bang plays and particularly in the case of of Deontay yeah it was a hard hit but I mean could you say that was some malicious intent that was specifically uh, out there to be helmet to helmet I mean no th these plays are so difficult and I understand refs have it difficult uh, but they also review those plays on the field and the penalty is just way too harsh so if you if you're not going to go back to the drawing board on targeting fine whatever but uh, to me the penalty just seems way too harsh agreed and you know by the rule did he launch probably but he also it was shoulder to shoulder contact and the guy that he hit popped right up and the guy was also going over the middle where you're going to get hit that is part of it you know as a receiver i'm going over the middle i've got somebody ready to whack me as soon as i get my hands on the football uh, to me that was a football play cam taylor Brett, I see that a lot more than I do uh, Deontay Williams, but it's just going to be difficult, I think, to get have both of them out for the first 30 minutes of the game on Saturday. All right, uh, Wisconsin's a lot different offensively than Ohio State. Eric Chenander was asked about the differences of preparing from the Buckeyes week to now the Badger week. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Obviously, both teams are, are really, really good football teams. Um, Ohio State's going to um, – they're going to run an NFL-style offense, but it's a, it's a spread style, so they're going to spread the field, um, get you in space a little bit, try to make creases for really good athletes. Wisconsin's going to pack all 11 guys in the phone booth and, and try to make the fits really hard, um, you know, especially on the second and third level players. Um, so I think it's just, it's just a different style of football. Um, you know, Wisconsin's going to try to, you know, ram it down your throat a little bit. Ohio State's going to spread you out and try to get on the edges, get in some space. Um, but both, both really good football teams, just a different philosophy overall um, is how they're going to try to run the ball and you know I think when you're playing Ohio State your DBs are, are, are constantly constantly under fire and against Wisconsin they're making them fit the run so hard every play and they can kind of get their eyes distracted a little bit and then try to go you know bombs away on them catch them sleeping because they're so hard in the run fit so I think it's just a little different style but but both good football teams. I've said this before Tim I think this is what makes being a defensive coordinator at Big Ten is so difficult is because you go from a spread attack with Ohio State to the lineup, a lot of snaps under center, eye formation pounded at you with two tight ends that Wisconsin throws at you. I, I think he undersold that. I think the prep is a lot different from last week to this week. Right. You know, it, it's, yeah, some of this you have to kind of forgive Shenander because he's got to get into a little bit of coach speak. You don't want to sound like you're downplaying yeah. the opponent. Um, but no, Wisconsin, you know, it, sometimes it feels like you, you've gone back in time when you're watching the Badgers play. You know, they have a lot of eye formation, you know, pound the rock, that type of style play, whereas Ohio State is very very much a modern offense but you, you see this in the NFL all the time I mean think of a team like the Los Angeles Rams you know they are a team that they, you know formationally they have a lot of offset eye stuff that looks like it's straight out of you know 1993 but um, very much the way they play is a modern style and I, I kind of view Wisconsin in that same thing establish the run get play action involved I mean the Seattle Seahawks do that all the time so you know they're a very potent offense I think I think we'd be kind of um, excusing ourselves a little bit if, if we uh, you know just kind of derided their offense too much but no I, I with not knowing their quarterback situation too that's the other challenge is yeah. you know are they gonna be run the 
trotting the Wildcat out there. Uh, they, they might with Groshek. I mean, it, it's going to be a strange, strange game if you're talking about running backs <laughs> playing QB. So uh, who knows what we're going to get with this offense on on uh, on Saturday, is, assuming the game gets off. But I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Good segue into the next clip. We want to play you from Eric Chenander. You think about the Badgers from the last couple of years, and they had Jonathan Tater, just an all-world back one of the best backs to ever play college football, quite honestly, with his numbers that he put up in the three years. And then I, I think Quintez Cephas was a really underrated guy um, at the wide receiver spot, and that was big last year when they got him out of the legal trouble and he was able to play for them. I think he made a huge difference for them. He's now in the National Football League. What about the current talent level for the Badgers? Here's Coach Chenander. Yeah, they don't have those guys, but, you know, I think uh, Danny Davis is a really good football player. I've always thought Garrett Groshek was a really good football player, and I think he kind of made that offense um, run a little bit. You know, Jonathan Taylor obviously was really, really good, um, and I don't know if you can replace him, but I thought Garrett Groshek was a good player, and Jake Ferguson's been a good player um, for a long time. Uh, I, I don't think their game plan is going to change. You know, um, obviously Cephas could, you know, they're going to throw some 50-50 balls up to him and give him some shots downfield. I'm sure they still have to take a few shots, um, but I don't think their overall scheme is going to change. But like you said, you know, Jonathan Taylor is awfully hard to replace. And, um, you know, I, I think that the run game, the scheme will stay the same. It's just going to be a little different style. The, the, the chunks the chunks won't be as, as huge because Jonathan Taylor could break one at any second. But the, the backs that they brought in, the Kia Watson, and like I said, Groshek, um, they're really good players as well. They're good players. I don't think they're elite like Jonathan Taylor or Melvin Gordon or Monte Ball. I mean, again, I we've seen the Kia Watson for the last couple of years. We've seen Groshek. Good players. He's right. Very nice players. Well, these aren't all American guys like they've been trotting out there in the past. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, not to sing the praises too much of Jonathan Taylor. I know Austin Norman is uh, uh, <laughs> we would get excited about that now that he's a member of the Indianapolis Colts. But no, you're right. I mean, uh, I understand why Shenander didn't say, yeah, now they have a bunch of has-beens <laughs> in the backfield now, <laughs> no, now without Jonathan Taylor. But that's a huge, huge deal. I mean, you know, Wisconsin, when Russell Wilson was, was Wisconsin's QB and then when he left, they were a, certainly a different team. And uh, but of course, you know, Wisconsin's always had elite tailbacks. They seem to kind of just plug in place and they're still a solid team. I, I'm a big fan of Groshek and what he's been able to do. Um, then again, I, I don't know what's going to be like if he's the one, you know, running out of the Wildcat. I don't. I, I really don't know how you how you kind of equate those those two things. And you're right. I mean, not when Jonathan Taylor is no longer in that backfield. That's a that's a huge boon uh, to the offense. I I hope at Nebraska on the flip side I can get Dietrich Mills going. I know that was a concern um, in at Ohio State. I think I think Nebraska fans want to see um, more him, also more Ronald Tompkins, more of the young guys. But um, look, there's there's no there's no question Wisconsin's a talented football team but you know you're right Jonathan Taylor is not back there anymore that should open up uh you know an avenue for Nebraska especially that front seven uh to be able to kind of plug those 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 run gaps a little bit and, and get things done on defense pretty well is, is a, a mild term for how you describe Tom Chattel's great columns that he puts out uh, for the Omaha World Herald you can also read his work at omaha.com Tom joins us now good evening sir how the heck are you well, do we have a game Saturday? Fifty-fifty? Uh, would you would you go with that right now? Maybe. I don't know. It's uh, I never bet. I, when it comes to COVID, I never bet, so I never wager anything. Uh, I just sit back and watch, and uh, and you know, you you pretty much plan. For, I don't say plan for the worst, but it's uh, you know, I just don't know. If, if Wisconsin is waiting on how many players might have it, or um, yes, they're not going to tell us. And it's a little surprising that somebody in that program leaked this out. I mean, why would they do that? Um, it's very interesting um, because they did not announce this, and they're not. We're not going to know until they call up Bill Moose or Scott Frost and say we're not coming. But. Um, are they waiting on, on more tests to, to make sure there's I – mean, I, know, I know that if, if there's a percentage and there's colors, orange and red and all that, but I just don't know if, if – if, is it going to change between now and Saturday? So uh, it's, it's a big mystery. Sure is, and we'll certainly continue to follow it as we make our way through. It's a, a really odd situation for Wisconsin to be in with their quarterbacks – 
uh, depth chart certainly being challenged if, if indeed it is true that Graham Mertz did test positive. Well, I wanted to get your take on what you, what you saw Saturday. What did you make of that performance by Nebraska? Well, it was uh, there was a lot uh, a lot to digest. Um, I think you start with the fact that you, whatever whatever reaction you have, you can't overreact because it's Ohio State, and they're not going to they're not going to see that kind of team, you know, the rest of the year. So, um, you know, they put the Penn State. Well, would you rather play Indiana? <laughs> So the idea of the schedule was so tough. I don't know many many easy teams in the league. Um, I, I like the the fact that they were so physical. The front seven, to me, I, and we all expected the offensive line to do well and be and have a presence um, out there. And but the, to me, the front seven was kind of the, the story of the day. The the fact that they were they were so physical and active, four sacks. I mean, I can't imagine many teams are going to get four sacks against Ohio State this year. So uh, I thought that was good. Uh, that was all ready to, to pump him up and pump up the season. And and then the ball started falling on the ground, and uh, there was a delay of game penalty coming out of a timeout, and uh, they, they didn't connect on, on the wide open touchdown pass. Just, these are things that keep happening that can't keep happening if they're going to start winning games. Uh, this is year three. So, yeah, I was it, – it, it, it kind of threw water on the – kind of rained on the parade for me a little bit. So, um, but otherwise, I think, I think there was a lot of hope there and a lot of progress. Uh, just the, the physicality, they should not get manhandled by anybody this year. So, now – can they can they take care of the mistakes? Can they score a bunch of touchdowns? Tom Chattel is with us. He is the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald. The caller before you came on was asking about the use of Luke McCaffrey. How did you feel like that little juggling act worked on Saturday? I was hoping that would happen. I didn't know if, if they would actually do that with a, a quarterback uh, who's going to you know, he might, who might need to be called on. Um, but I think, you know, in this offense, it depends on a lot of playmakers and starting with the quarterback, but also the receivers and running backs who catch and, and run in space. Um, I, I think that's a smartest, you know, it's a smart move. It shows that there is urgency. They do want to start getting this thing going. Uh so and he's their best, probably their best playmaker. So get him on the field. It's that's that's just 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 good coaching. The fact that and I think they've obviously had this in mind for a long time. So the I mean, you watched the game and you saw the scheme, and obviously they they had it, it's like you said, they just kind of blended in to the offense. So they, they've had this in mind, um, and yet I still think that this season. Is a quarterback competition. I, you know, I think going into next year, I think both guys are going to play quarterback, and I think they're going to keep an eye on who does what. And um, but if you're trying to keep score, you're got one guy over the other. They both fumbled, so yeah. <laughs> you didn't have much of an edge there. So, but I think it's only only one game. I think um, that's the kind of thing that could really cause a lot of defenses uh, some problems because, uh, uh, you know, n- number seven is a pretty good mismatch for a lot of uh, – I mean, I guess he ran – I heard when he ran down the sideline, one of the Ohio State writers said, who the heck is that? Well, <laughs> you, you're going to find out pretty soon. Yeah. Buckle up and put the phone down. A reminder from NDOT Highway Safety Office. Tom Chattel is with us here on Sports Nightly. Does it remind you at all of the Crouch Newcomb kind of battle in the late nineties? You would have been covering that era of Husker football. Does it remind you of that at all? Yeah, I was on a show today in Omaha and I brought that up. Uh, I've been thinking about that all week and uh, yes. Yeah. And not just because of the number seven, but um, it does because the second game of the 99, you know, the first game they go to Iowa, you know, they, 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 
they hammer him. Uh, Krauss gets in late. He runs over Iowa safety, and and, and it was just uh, the story was did Eric, you know, his state of mind, and is he still on the team and so forth. And uh, then the second week they open up against Cal at home. That was the home opener, and I'll never forget the image of him catching a pass and running up the middle of the field. He just he just cut the defense in half. He he sprinted the crouch sprinted up the middle of the field and went all, went all the way uh, to the end zone, and it, it was like a lightning bolt. And um, it just it kind of took your breath away. And you, so and we, you know. It, you know what, what I would what I would say about that is, you know, sometimes uh, you know, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy, but he's he's even more popular when he shows his value in other ways. Um, when he 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 gives reminders, that, hey, I'm still out there. I'm 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 I can I can score in other ways here. I can help the team in other ways. It, it, you know, it's. <laughs> It's a good team thing to do. It's a good, you know, good to have that guy around. But it also, you know, it just it it it, it kind of presents your case even more sometimes. So uh, it puts a little more pressure on the starting quarterback when you can do that. So yeah, I think it uh, and, and eventually Eric did end up being the starter. Um, but interestingly, uh, Newcomb was the same kind of guy. Uh, where I, in the '97 season, the national championship season. He was a guy who caught passes and returned uh, returned punts and, and scored touchdowns. So he was the, that kind of guy too. So they had two of those kind of guys. Uh, you know, not unlike right now. So yes, I thought about that and uh, I've been thinking about it. And I'll probably you know, if we have a game, <laughs> I'll might, I might bring that up in a, in a column at some point. Yeah. Uh, all right, if this game happens or just looking around the West and a lot of parity looks like it's going to be the, the norm here in the next six, seven weeks, it's time for the Huskers to start winning some of these matchups, isn't it, against the Wisconsins and the Iowas? Yeah, I'm thinking about the approach, and I'm thinking the two of the big breakthrough games in Nebraska history, the 78 Oklahoma game, and the 92 Colorado game, which also was on Halloween, the, the, the approach to those games were, we're going to try to beat the crap out of the other guys. We're going to be the most physical team on the field and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I think that needs to be the approach here. I don't, I'm not saying Nebraska hasn't done that, but I don't think Mike Riley, that was not his approach. Um and I don't think it's, it's ever been the approach that you know we're going to go try to be the most physical team. I think that's, that's a tall order against Wisconsin and, and Iowa, but I think that's the approach you need to take. Um, now, are you going to be better than their offensive line? I think it sends a message. I think it sends a message that this you know this is different. We're serious, and it just it just energizes a team when they go out and try to do that. So. I don't know if they can bring if they can bring back John Rood to, to, to you know cover the kickoff on on Saturday, um, but it might help. All right, my friend, are you are you going to be in attendance Saturday if there's a game? Yes, I'll be there. Um, Great, and uh, let's just cross our fingers that uh, you know when I saw the little headline today, I got sort of a bad feeling. <laughs> Oh boy! So, but hopefully uh, they get it. They get it together, and uh, hopefully, whoever they bring to play quarterback is not Matt Terman. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you you remember that game, don't you, Greg? I do. I wasn't at in attendance for that game, but I remember watching that oh, okay. game. Okay, I thought cloudy, you were. I'm sorry. It was uh, that was two yeah. years before I took over the microphone down there in Manhattan. Okay, okay. Well, that was. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has the kind of team. I don't know if they have a kind of running back that Nebraska had that year, but they 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 they've got a system, and whoever they mm-hmm. have a quarterback is was recruited to play the system. So and their quarterbacks are never really guys who make a lot of you know uh, giant stats or highlights. It's just 
except for last Friday night, right? But so that, it's, it's, I think whoever they plug in is, is probably going to do a good job. So uh, Nebraska will have to show up and play, and they're going to have to play better. And they can. No doubt. Well, hey, I'll, I'll give you a fist pump on Saturday. How's that? There you go. All right, I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Greg. All right, let's have some fun. Let's go beyond the headlines. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the Headlines. Well, Mick Steiner and I have put our collective brain power together and whipped up the uh, most pressing stories uh, of our age, and uh, we're going to just fast-fire them at you right here, so I hope you guys are ready. Um, this first one, though, uh, Ben, I think you already uh, opined about this on the, the Twitter sphere, so we'll have to ask you about it again. Uh, Dallas Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy is calling out his own team, uh, with the reason being because he feels he didn't adequately react when their quarterback, Andy Dalton, got clobbered by Washington's John Bostic in a hit that knocked him out of the game. McCarthy wanted to see some more passion from his players, but the Cowboys kind of seemed to take it in stride. They were sort of stoic about <laughs> Dalton getting clobbered out of the game. Uh, do you guys agree with McCarthy here, or do you think it's actually a kind of a weird sign of maturity that the Cowboys players didn't really react in any meaningful way? I, I definitely, based on their reactions, I don't think it was a mature reaction. Just, I mean, I, I think, you know, it didn't really look like they were, you know, taking the high road, at least by their body language. Look, if I'm a quarterback or, you know, any of my teammates get hit like that, I want to see some guys. I mean, you don't, you don't need to go in there and start throwing haymakers and helmets, but I at least want to see somebody maybe pick up the quarterback or go, you know, say something to, to the other team to say you don't really like it. I think it's funny that Mike McCarthy was the one that was calling out his own team when his team was calling out him, you know, what, a few days ago by <laughs> saying that he's not a good coach and it's not going to work and he doesn't know what he's doing and the game plans are terrible. So uh, it's funny that he was the one that pointed the finger. But absolutely, I, I mean, I want to see my guys stick up for my quarterback a little more than that. I don't know that the Cowboys had a pulse in that game Sunday. I mean, they that that was a sleepy-looking football team. There are all kinds of issues in Big D right now with that program. There needed to be some fire, and there wasn't at all for the game or that that situation. Yeah, I mean, they could just all be really into stoic philosophy and just kind of taking things in stride, but that, that's my other theory, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> there was a, We had a player on our team not that long ago named Josh Mitchell that uh, – could hardly tip the scales when he stepped on it, but there was a game that we played against Miami where one of his teammates took a cheap shot, and he was the first one in the pile on Miami's offensive lineman who was like four times his size. That's the type of guy that I want on my team. I'm, I'm with you, Ben. And, gentlemen, let's, let's stay in we the need to get uh, Mick coaching. Turn mics on. Oh, we got him. Hold on. That's uh, – he was – we were feeding Ben. We just figured uh, you didn't want to hear Mick, but don't worry. He's in your now. <laughs> I feel like that was intentional by Tim. There we go. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll stay in the uh, NFL coaching and player relationship sphere here. So last night during the Monday Night Football game, ESPN color analyst Brian Greasy revealed that Nick Foles told the Monday Night Football crew that his head coach, Matt Nagy, calls plays without keeping in mind the time it takes to execute the play call. Foles evidently expressed frustration that he was he was the one getting hit and not Matt Nagy. Foles was asked about this after the game, and he told reporters, reporters that it was a miscommunication and that he and Nagy have a great relationship. Whose story are you buying here, Foles or Greasy's? I, I don't know. I heard that little exchange that Greasy had, and I'm first. my first thought was, why would Nick Foles say that? I couldn't <laughs> believe he would. Yeah. He's a veteran guy that's been around a long time, and I think Foles – was in Kansas City when Nagy was here. I think. I think they crossed paths before Nagy got the head coaching job of the Bears. Um, I don't know. Maybe Greasy heard it wrong. I, that didn't seem to add up when I heard it because I just can't imagine a veteran quarterback like Foles making that comment to a member of the media. Well, I don't know that. To me, I'm surprised Greasy said something like that. You know, yeah. like that, that seemed almost like a, a comment you make off record. And I don't know. I thought that was a little distasteful, but the whole thing in Chicago is a little dysfunctional right now. That 
that offense is pretty hard to watch. They got to get some things figured out. So it's not it's not shocking to hear that it's not a it's not all smooth over there. <laughs> they yeah. do still have a good record though. Yeah, somehow. Thanks, yeah, defense. Greasy uh, did the classic burning of sources. Uh, very <laughs> not, a ca- not a capital J journalist, that, that Greasy. Well, uh, that moves us on to uh, the SEC Ole Miss coach, Lane Kiffin, uh, tweeting out a little bit while ago. He wanted to pay his $25,000 $25, fine he received from the league uh, in pennies. That would account to $2.5 million. <laughs> $2.5 million of them, in fact. Uh, Kiffin, of course, got the fine for complaining about a blown call in the Auburn game. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was a kickoff play where the ball hit an Auburn uh, return man and it was actually recovered in the end zone by Ole Miss but it was called a touchback and officials didn't review the play and the SEC later came out and said hey we blew it we should have reviewed the play but still Kevin is being fined so with that said you know if the league actually does come out and say hey we got this wrong do you think it's still right for them to levy that fine or is, is that kind of a, a, a misstep do you think it's a great question um, I, I feel like it's more the act than it is the you know it's 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 the principle of the deal as opposed to the result of the play meaning they don't want to set the standard of coaches being able to rip officials and say whatever they want in this case wasn't it a tweet didn't he retweet something on his twitter page and that's what he got popped for uh so i i think it's a fine line i definitely think that we all want to hear from coaches when there's a bad call I think the biggest thing to me, and, and this is a, a, you know, a kick that I've been out in front of for years, I think we need to have um, interviews, post-game interviews with the officials and hold them accountable and, and, and hear from their point of view. I mean, there's a lot of accountability on the players and the coaches to act a certain way. I think we need to put that same standard on the officials, a lot of which, not necessarily in football, more so in baseball, want to make the game about them and not the players. So. Uh, I've been I've been advocating that for a long time. I think you need if you're the league, you need to let this one slide. I really do because you knew that your guys blew the call, and so he didn't. He, he did. He retweeted something, and I, I get that you need to you need to keep these coaches under control and not ripping your officials game after game. But the coaches know that too; they understand that. But in this case, when they blew a call and they've openly admitted they did, how, how do you go? Ding a coach for 25K. I think they need to look the other way in this particular case. Right. Oh, as a real quick follow up, have you guys ever paid off a bet in that petty of a fashion before? Ever like paid a fine or anything like that, like with pennies or whatever? I don't think I've ever done I mean, pennies, I, but I've, I, I, I got dinged for in high school for a, a kind of a broken book binding, and I ve- was very upset about it, and I did not take it go- sitting down. I think I paid it in like nickels or something. It was not fun. I feel like that's something I would do, but I don't think I've ever actually done it. Particularly with, with a parking organization in, in our capital city, <laughs> <laughs> I would I would consider it. So, gentlemen, Game Six of the MLB World Series between the Rays and Dodgers is underway down in Texas. These coronavirus mo- modified playoffs have truly highlighted a bunch of oddball managerial decisions, from early pitching changes to late game substitutions of star players. Some of these have worked, some have not. This has sparked a huge debate over whether the reliance on analytics has perhaps been overdone. So I was going to ask you guys whether you'd trust a seasoned manager or a computer model, but I'm I'm going to give you guys a a hypothetical, I guess. So say tonight you've got the game tied or you're in the lead by one inning in the eighth inning, and you just had a relief pitcher go three up, three down. He's, He's on fire, no problems. Say you only had like 12 pitches. And the computer model is telling you to take him out. Would you take him out or would you leave him in? I think it depends on a lot of things. I think it depends on who's due up in the ninth. I think it depends on who I have due up in the top or the bottom half of the inning. It depends what arms I have left in the bullpen. And it depends on what those matchups are. So okay, if, I, I, if I my guy's a lefty, if my guy's a lefty, that this guy you're talking about just threw 12 pitches as a lefty, and I got seven, eight, nine due up, and two of those guys are lefties. I'm leaving him in. So, so I, I think it depends on the situation. I'm gonna I'm gonna modify my my question here because I agree with you that there's there's a lot more than that simple hypothetical. But say we have this situation, and the computer model is telling you to pull him, but your ma- seasoned manager who's been through he's say he's it's it's Dave Roberts. He's been through it all, made some questionable decisions, is telling you to leave him in. Okay, let me let me answer it this way. I am not 
going to make my decision cut and dry, black and white, just based on what the computer is telling me to do. All right, I think, I, agree. I, think, I think it's – I'm taking into account all my information, and then I'm making my decision from there. So I might be 20% computer lean, 80% manager lean. So in this case, I'm going to go with the manager. I think I'm, I'm assessing all my information, but I'm not going to be one guy one way or the other just because it's the analytics or just because I don't agree with the analytics, I'm going with the manager. I think it's all kind of a gut thing for yeah, me. Math is for I, nerds. I agree. <laughs> I, I think managers overmanage, particularly in postseason play. And trust your eyes sometime. If your guy was, if your guy had nasty stuff in the eighth inning and mowed him down, why are you going to get somebody you don't know what he has in that bullpen? You know your guy just walked off the mound has filthy stuff for the night. Let him go. If he gets in trouble, have your closer ready to roll. But I've always thought managers, particularly in postseason, overmanage so badly, and it usually costs guys. You guys might have seen this uh, earlier today, but former multi-sport superstar Bo Jackson claimed on Deion Sanders' podcast. Of course, everyone and their mother has a podcast now. They're trying to coach on our turf. Uh, anyway, Bo Jackson claiming on Deion Sanders' podcast this week that if you were playing in today's NFL, he'd be averaging 350 to 400 yards per game. Uh, his logic? <laughs> he said that the tackling is really poor. No one wraps up. Um, and he just believes he'd run all over modern defenses. Uh, you guys think this is just bluster from Bo, or do you yes. buy his claim? <laughs> no. It's bluster. There's no way he rushes for that. That's ridiculous. The guys on defense are so much bigger and faster than when Bo played. Yeah. They can get away with sloppy tackling at times. That Guys love to do this. Guys who are way past their prime and aren't playing anymore love to be braggadocious and say, well, if I were in this game right now, I'd do this crazy no way i love me bo jackson don't get me wrong i i think the world of bo jackson i think he is maybe the greatest athlete of all time but you're telling me that derrick henry isn't a specimen that he is that much better than what derrick henry i mean six foot three 240 pounds and can outrun everybody on a defense he's not bo jackson fast but he can drop the hammer more than Bo can, and you know yeah. he, he, and he's getting nowhere close to half of what Bo's saying he could get. There's no way that I can believe that Bo Jackson or any running back in history could outproduce Derrick Henry by double <laughs> what he's doing right now. There's no way. So yeah, so someone's never played Tech Mobile, so yeah, there you have it. But uh, anyway, well. Uh, I think that'll do it for our, our topics here. Don't I got one more. I got one more. All right. Beyond the headlines, my dad's 60th birthday today, so hey. I wish my dad hey. a happy birthday. Fantastic. Happy birthday, Dad. Round of Great. applause. What'd you get him? I got him a phone call. <laughs> and I, I guess I guess I could give him his uh, his lawn spreader back that's been in my garage for a month. That'd be, that'd be a good birthday gift, <laughs> give him the spreader back. Jeez. That's fair. Can you take him a six-pack or something? Come on. I, I, I probably should, yeah. Man, probably ought, to, right. probably ought, to, ought to lock that down. All right. Good work, boys. It was good to have you on the headlines. We haven't had that for a few weeks. Good ch- chance to catch up on some of that stuff. And Bo Jackson, mm, sorry, buddy. Sorry, Bo. No, love you, but no. We have a busy show planned for tomorrow. The Big Ten Blitz is back. We'll check out what's uh, getting ready to happen for Illinois, uh, Iowa, and Penn State in their upcoming matchups this weekend as we spin around the league. Uh, We'll also have another edition of the Husker Huddle. We'll talk some baseball. Jeremiah Searles sits down with former Husker baseball star Cody Ashey. So that and buy, sell coming your way tomorrow night. Our Sports Highly Hotline is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and all of you for being a part of this one tonight. Enjoy your evening. We're back with another show tomorrow night.